Welcome to Too Deep, Hokies Under the Influence. My name is Pete Berthod, and my co-host is Robbie Dowling. Virginia Tech is back in the NCAA tournament after 10 years, and Robbie, I am so pumped about it. Give us a cheers. Well, my cheers is going to be just that. We made the tournament, and I feel like if you've ever seen the movie Gross Point Blank, when he repar- I think it's Martin Gross, comes back to town, and he's sitting in um, the car with his buddy. He's like, 10 years, man. Where have you been? Because <laughs> he disappeared for all that time. That's, that's kind of how I feel. 10 years. But that- cheers to Buzz and the team with you know Blackshear and Clark and what this team had to go through. I think a, a real hat tip to what Buzz is able to do. I think we've really hit stride with him and seeing how capable he is at building motivation in a team and having them play to the final final second of every game. Yeah, man. Cheers to the guys. Cheers to Buzz and the boys. Ooh. Ah, that wild turkey never tasted so good. I can't believe it's been 10 years. The last time was the Zabian Dowdell, Jamon Gordon team, uh, Seth Greenberg's first tournament appearance with us and only tournament appearance with us. And it was so much fun. I remember watching that tournament game in Boston with a bunch of Hokies, and I just can't believe it was. It took us this long to get back. I thought then that we'd be going back year after year, and we were on the bubble year after year but couldn't get in. It feels amazing to be back, and really, Hokie fans, you have to enjoy this. Over the last 30 years, we've been to the tournament three times, including this one. So it's a once-in-a-decade type of type of thing for us, and so really take it in and enjoy it, and hopefully the hiatus isn't as long now that Buzz Williams is here and hopefully here to stay for at least a couple more years. Robbie, let's do some news and notes before we really dive into our our tournament preview, and I had some stuff on the football team, not not too much stuff. We we had the combine recently, so some of our former Hokies were there. And of all the guys, I'd say Bucky probably improved his stock the most of anyone there. Uh, he had the best vertical among the tight ends at 39 inches, the best broad jump ever for a tight end at 11 foot 2 inches. And as for the other guys, I guess – Ford ran a four six one forty, and if someone improved the stock in Bucky, some of the scouts were saying that Ford might have, you know, dropped a little bit. Yeah, I think the consensus that from reading and listening and watching it was Ford may have dinged himself a little bit with that forty time. He needs to have a great pro day. That's going to be important for him. The general consensus, I think, on Evans was much of what we said when he elected to go to the draft early which was he could really have used one more year in the program people thought his footwork was kind of a mess uh you know there wasn't a there wasn't much glowing that he they had a lot of his stats in the combine weren't that great in comparison to the other quarterbacks um rogers i think people knew that he wasn't going to be the fastest guy i think he was the slowest running back core he went in as one only one of two fullbacks that's he's going to end up in a unique system anyway somebody's got to be using that position for him to to have value there so i'm not sure it mattered that much for him and then you know a canham and clark it wasn't it wasn't much better i was i was kind of surprised that we struggled so much in the athletic side of things given 
you know, we ha- I think our strength coach is pretty good, but everybody has a ceiling at the end of the day, and they're going to max out at what they what they're capable of. But I was I was kind of surprised that you know really only one out of our six did did well. Yeah, like you said with Rogers, his stock neither rose or fell with this. He did, had a great senior um, a week at the Senior Bowl, I should say, not Senior Week, and uh, the other guys. None of them we knew were incredible athletes. I do think that Chuck Clark will get into the league and stick. Uh, I don't know if he'll be drafted. Kenneth Canham, his size is is a problem because he's kind of in between uh, in terms of weight uh, for a defensive end. So we'll see what happens. I was I was disappointed with Ford mainly because of the drops, and that's something that he never really had a problem with before this season. And he had a few key drops during the year. And at the combine, he had drops as well to go with that slow forty time. We knew he wasn't a burner, and speed has never been his thing. It's it's the body control, it's the route running, and his hands. And when one of those three falls out at the combine, or at least in the small sample size that that, that goes on at the combine, it's not good. I still no. think he'll be drafted top mm, four rounds, but he might have dropped from a two to a four. So we'll we'll see. Yeah, I I agree. I was I was surprised and people picked up on it because he had his stock had been rising enough that people were paying attention. If he was flying under the radar as, you know, a 5 or a 6 round guy, I'm not sure people would be paying that much attention to it because but because he got himself up that high, which was positive, he got a little bit more visibility. The next news item I had was Tyrod getting a new deal with the Buffalo Bills. It was kind of a shocker considering all the just prognostications that he might go elsewhere or be cut and the end of the season with the bills where they just sat him because they didn't want to pay him if he got hurt and then he had a medical procedure right at the end the whole thing seemed weird but he re-signed it's a five-year deal two guaranteed seven million dollar signing bonus and total in terms of the guaranteed money is 15.5 which is really all you should look at when it comes to NFL contracts, because I think Tyrod's deal he signed last year was like $90 million, and now, of course, that deal is completely out the window, and it's a new deal now. So $15.5 million guaranteed for Tyrod going forward. He seems to be – he says all the right things. I mean, he says he's happy to be back in Buffalo and play for a team that he loves, but with all the crap that went on, I can't imagine he's super pleased. But, uh, but that's – you know, our guy getting some cash to play starting quarterback in the NFL, still really happy for Tyrod. That whole thing was just an absolute gong show. I couldn't, I don't know what the hell was going on. And the injury and them sitting him, like you said, it was just a complete mess and mostly a farce at the end of the day because he ended up resigning with them. So right. it took up a lot of headlines for, for a while to end up being nothing. As for players that are at Tech or coming to Tech, we got a couple new commits after we had our last signing day podcast one of which was Zion DeBose, someone that we expected to sign, but we didn't talk about during National Signing Day. It's someone that French was high on, um, thinks he'll be a really good what defensive end, correct? Yeah, that's right. And I, wa- I watched the film on him. He's coming out of North Carolina, and he is a mean guy. He tackles – it jumped out at me just after clip number four that I watched. He hits the quarterback hard. He is not afraid – uh, to get in there and get dirty. And a lot of those plays were end up being forced fumbles, which was nice. So I think that's an awesome pickup for us. And he, he looks like he can be something, you know, very, very serviceable, but also I think he could also be a starter for us down the road. 
And the other commit I saw was Quincy Patterson, who's a 2018 quarterback commit. We already have Dewan Ellis committed for that same year at quarterback. And adding another guy to that mix, a three-star on 247 uh, in Quincy Patterson, it's always good to have more quarterbacks. Did you happen to watch a film on him? Yeah, I did. Nothing stood out from a throwing standpoint. It looks like he needs a lot of work, but that that's what Fuente does, right? So I wasn't even paying that much attention to it, given he's a dual threat. But that kid can run between the tackles. He has a really shifty cut. He has good vision, heads up. He finds lanes where you think that there's nothing there and he's going to get taken down. He finds a, a nice cut lane, and that jumped off the screen for me when I watched his film. We got spring ball starting on March 21st. Uh, we'll go into more detail about spring ball and and what's all going on with that in a, in a later podcast. But this podcast is going to be about the Virginia Tech basketball team and what they accomplished this year. And just the last news item that's related to that is that Devin Wilson, someone that I was kind of curious why he wasn't playing with how shorthanded we were, and he had come back from the football team after the season had started, and you expected him to have to ride the bench for a little while. Well, he's actually redshirting, and we I found this out a couple of weeks ago. I saw an article, and he'll be back with the basketball team in full next year. He's done playing football, but he has one more year to play as, in terms of eligibility, and he's going to be one of our guards next year. And It's going to be nice to have that fifth-year senior leadership coming back, uh, especially with the departure of Seth Allen next year. Uh, Depth at the guard position is never hurts, especially with what we hope will be another tournament team. I, I love the fact that Devin Wilson has done so much for Virginia Tech and clearly loves playing sports with all the work that he has put in, both basketball and football. I think that's pretty cool that he's going to come back for one more year. Yeah, and the maturity will be obviously a big help given how much Seth Allen seems to be a leader out there, you know, especially in tight situations. So. He's been there. He's done that. He's been in really tough games. He's he's seen the team overcome. So having him uh, out there would be super helpful. The last time we talked to you guys regarding anything basketball wise was right after the UVA loss in Charlottesville. It really wasn't pretty. But soon after that, the team turned around and maybe that was partially because we weren't recording a podcast. You know, we're both superstitious. But as long as we stayed off the air, Virginia Tech seemed to play better and better. And I just wanted to do a quick season recap before we talk about the tournament. We had a great start out of conference. And you can say what you want about our out-of-conference schedule. It wasn't strong, uh, to say the least. But we went 11-1. and And the only loss of that out-of-conference schedule was Texas A&M, a game in which we were up 17 points. So great start to the season. We avoided that bad loss that can haunt bubble teams. And once ACC pl- ACC play started... Obviously, we had the Duke win, started off with a bang, but we kind of only treaded water after that. We went 4-6 and six in our next few games. We had the bad loss to UNC, the NC State loss, which is pretty ugly on the road, and that UVA loss I just mentioned. But everything changed in the double OT thriller versus UVA in Blacksburg. We won. Unfortunately, Chris Clark went down. But that game and the Clark injury and just being shorthanded in general seemed to really unify the team. That game was, I watched it with the, one of my UVA buddies, was unbelievable. I, the, the ball getting sitting up on the rim, which I don't watch a ton of basketball, but I've never seen it happen. No. It was 
absolutely incredible. Seth Allen was incredible in a bunch of games in that stretch. Uh, the UVA game, uh, Pitt, Clemson, just sinking shots and just showing that he has, you know, just a, a way of finishing off games and just a cool and calmness to to make those was absolutely incredible to watch. All those game winners by Seth Allen were just just amazing. I mean, I guess some were closer to the buzzer than others, but so many shots made in the last five seconds of play that turned out to be the game-winning buckets. And the other key was the emergence of Ty Outlaw, who had to play because of the injury to Chris Clark and stepped up in a huge way, making so many three-pointers. And over a five-game stretch, the last five games of the regular season, he was 72% from three including breaking the school record for threes in a game, going 8 of 10 against Miami, a game that was critical to us getting in the tournament and, and basically made us a lock after we won that one. We and won that we absolutely would have lost if he didn't go off there for going 8 for 10. There's no chance that we would have had that game. Agreed. Miami is a tough matchup for us, and we basically needed a crazy performance like that to win. We won five of our last seven conference games, and went 10-8 and eight in the ACC for the second year in a row. And that's something that I didn't even think would happen because of the ACC's strength this year. Although we went 10-8 and eight, ten and eight last year, we kind of had a weaker ACC schedule. The ACC wasn't as good, and it was kind of surprising. This year, I was nervous just because of the depth of the ACC. And anyone who follows college basketball closely knows how deep and brutal the ACC was this year. And to go 10-8... and eight, uh, you know, if you can't get it, that, that was absolutely made us a lock. Once we got, I thought the ninth win, but particularly the 10th win, we weren't missing the tournament. And that's what most of the, the pundits said as well. Yeah. I think people were hoping that I think earlier in the season, once we started ACC play, people were hoping for nine and nine. That was kind of, that was the goal to try and get us into the tournament and they exceeded it in. And I, I, I knew, knew just from you and I talking, talking with other people, how deep the ACC was going to be this year. And I think it actually proved to be even deeper than the commentary yeah. going into it, which is incredible. There was really only one bad team, and that was Boston College. NC State turned out to be bad, but they weren't bad at first. They have a top five lottery pick uh, in Dennis Smith Jr., they just kind of faded and Godfrey lost his job and whatever else. But the ACC overall was just so tough. I did think 9-9 nine and nine would get us in, but because of the way our out-of-conference schedule seemed to get worse and worse and worse, like the teams that we played just were terrible and got more terrible as the season went on, that we kind of needed to get to that 10th win. If we'd only had 9 and we didn't beat Miami, I would have been much more nervous going into, this, into the um, selection show. Fortunately, that wasn't the case. We finished 22-10, and 10, highest win total since the 2010-2011 season, Malcolm Delaney and Jeff Allen senior year. Uh, just, just an amazing season. Really fun to follow. The injuries that we had to sustain um, and just the way Buzz had to change his strategy and almost the team getting better by losing one of our best players in Chris Clark. And, and some of that has to just do with X's and O's type stuff and how you can spread the floor better with Ty Outlaw, but it was just a really, really fun year to watch, and I just couldn't be happier for those kids, and particularly Seth Allen and Lede, uh coming over and believing in Buzz and then basically carrying us to the tournament. 
Yeah, well, absolutely carrying to the tournament. It does make you wonder what the season would have been even you know more improved, maybe or or not as improved because people wouldn't have felt like they needed to if if we had Blackshear and we had Clark for the for the full season. That you know that losing them may have what been what sparked the fire in the team. And you know I think this team plays better as an underdog, quite frankly, than typically when they're their favorite. And and that's Virginia Tech's MO in uh in football as well, it seems like. And I really feel like this team just they took on some of that mentality. They're so tough. Justin Robinson throughout the year was just such a steadying force uh, for being a young kid and he took a beating in that ACC tournament game against Wake and just kept getting up and kept getting up and I mean I you said you tweeted something after the game like he's going to have to sit in an ice bath all night or something like that but yeah he got roughed up he was hit, he was hitting the court hard and it just it wasn't one or twice i think it happened three or four times that he was taking a beating yeah that win against wake was was nice to avenge the senior night loss i felt bad for for allen and Lede, that fact that they lost their last game at home and Lede was pissed about it and you could tell he went off in that wake game 31 points 15 rebounds, uh, both career highs, and the scowl was in – I think he had a career high in scowls as well because <laughs> he was just – his face was just cracking me up the whole night, man. I, I, I love watching him play. I'm really going to miss him. I would also say that uh, Justin Bibbs, he quietly had a very good year, and if you look at his numbers, he shot 46% from three in ACC play. And I don't think – Bibbs – was so good early on in his career and maybe unexpectedly as good as he was as a freshman and he hasn't really super improved but he is such a a solid player and next year him coming back as well with these guys he's he's going to have to pick up some of the you know the points that Lede and Allen are are leaving behind um and I think it was the Florida State game right where he went I think 0 for 3 in the first in the first half of the game, and then then he started to turn it on in the, in the second. I, you know, when you get into the, one of those funks, especially when you're shooting 46 percent on the year, it's hard to pull yourself out. To pull yourself out mid game is probably even more difficult. And he managed to do it, and, and quite frankly, made that game look a lot closer than it probably was. Yeah, because we we had actually made I think seven threes in the first half, and we're right with Florida State, and we're talking about the ACC tournament game, of course. Uh, and then in the second half, we could not hit a three for, what, the first 15 minutes? Uh, yeah. It was really ugly. And then Bibbs did make a few, and you're right. It, it put us back in the game. Bibbs also has the prettiest shot of anyone on the team. I, I, although Lede's shot got surprisingly got a little bit better, he didn't shoot a ton of threes down the stretch uh, of ACC play because his shot is kind of funky, but he still made almost 35%. But when Bibbs shoots the ball, it's just so pretty. It's like a perfect... Uh, a perfect form shot and uh, not Hill or Allen. No one has as pretty a three point shot as Bibbs. And when it's going in, it's, it's a beautiful thing. Lede early on, it looked like he was sneezing while he was shooting the three points. (laughs) It was was. the Charles Barkley of three point shots. (laughs) Yeah, but it did improve. And by the end, it didn't look, uh, it didn't look half bad, but early on in the season, it was was pretty horrific. It definitely had a hitch in it. Like Charles Barkley's golf swing. That's what I was getting at there. 
this program turnaround is something I, I want to talk about in a bigger picture. But before that, let me ask you what you're drinking. So I am having the superb uh, IPA by Aleworks out of Williamsburg, Virginia. I think in one of our more recent reviews, people wanted some more local stuff. So I went, uh, I went out of my way to try and find one. Uh, I got to be honest, I I haven't seen this one before. I think it's one newer IPA for them, and it's not it's not great. It's six point three percent, and I would equate it to a little bit hoppier Sierra Nevada, which is is you know I'm I'm not a big big fan of, but you know it's good. It's easy sipping. It'd be good or better for the summertime, but it's not it's not great. I am drinking the Voodoo Ranger by New Belgium, and it's their eight hot pale ale. I'm not really sure what this, these uh, Voodoo beers that they're doing at New Belgium. I, I just happen to see a bunch of them, and uh, this one is pretty good. And I, I'll I'll first say that I don't really care for New Belgium's beer on the whole, although they're a giant brewery and they've just gotten bigger and bigger, and they brew in Colorado first, and now Asheville, North Carolina. They're everywhere. But I don't really like a ton of their beers, and a bunch of my friends I've talked to kind of agree. But this Voodoo Ranger, the Adop Pale Ale, it's really good. It's kind of a, a tropical fruity, uh, I guess it would lean more towards an IPA. It's only 5.5% alcohol, but it's got a nice hoppy flavor. I love it. And I'm a pale ale guy by nature. Um, a, a little bit, I like things that are just a little bit less hoppy than an IPA. That's like where my real wheelhouse is. And this is right in there. So I would highly recommend the Voodoo Ranger 8 Hot Pale Ale by New Belgium. Yeah. So Fat Tire, I'll just say it sucks. It's not a good beer. <laughs> Ranger <laughs> Ranger IPA is not very good. New Belgium, you know, it started uh, it got it started early, so I think that helped them out a lot, but none of their beers really do it for me. Yeah, it's funny. I really did like Fat Tire, like I guess when it first started getting on the East Coast and being distributed a lot. But over time, I just grown to really, really dislike it, and I don't really know why that is. <laughs> um, on a more positive uh, note, uh, on everything, right, right, exactly. <laughs> so let's talk about what what Buzz has accomplished in just a couple of years here, and and we all kind of know the story and the way Buzz will will bring it up from time to time. Like when he when he was talking the other night, he was like, "Everyone told me what a dumb idea, basically, to go to Virginia Tech." And he said, I love it, baby. And it's been in it's been in a couple of videos and stuff. And it's true. He he took a huge risk coming to Virginia Tech. He wanted to prove that he could build a program, not just maintain one. And without a doubt, in three years, he's already done it. We were last place four years in a row. We won two games in the ACC in his first season. And he was working with with junk, uh, basically from the players that we had left over. Uh, and then very next year, about halfway through last year, he, this team just, they, they changed and they won 10 games in the ACC in his second season. And now he's done it back to back and he's got us in the tournament. Like we said, for the first time in 10 years, it is unbelievable, not just what he's done, but the speed with which he accomplished it. I don't think that people recognize how difficult that is and to do that in in Blacksburg. And there's been some pieces on 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 Buzz on national media, 
but I don't think it gets enough coverage for how much people doubted him, doubted the decision that he made. And it was, we've talked about this before, Buzz is, uh, and there was a lot of articles when he first came in, he's a stats guy. He he takes risks, but they're calculated risks. And he analyzed the hell out of whether he was going to take this position, and he thought he could do Probably not at the pace that he's done it, but what what's happening right now? He he saw that. I I just couldn't be more impressed with what he's done, and I have long said that I don't really get all the things that he says. I don't really get the inspirational stuff and like his long speeches on like values and this and that. But when you hear him talk about basketball, like you said, he is a total stats guy. He knows every stat in and out about ball screens and percentages and what works best against what, like he is a a true student in the game. He doesn't talk about that as much to us, the media or who, you know, the fans in general, we hear a little snippet here and there, but when he talks to us, it's always like, you know, take a bite of cake or whatever. It's like these inspirational, like metaphors that I don't really quite understand, but the students that he, that play for him really respond to it. And, it's just so awesome, and I think it. the scene in Castle yesterday just really proved how much everyone loves him and how much he really appreciates the opportunity and loves the fans in Blacksburg as well. Like He gave the fans so much credit yesterday in his, in, when he spoke to them. Yeah, I think one interesting item on, on your point is watching the post-game, whatever, it's IMG Radio, right, the post-games with buzz over time has been interesting because Burnup and, and laser have started to have to have their stat sheets in front of them because he goes to the stats in those instances that's where he talks about you know how many shots in the paint and he goes and he has every stat in front of him it's you can tell it's a it's a printout that he gets from his staff that they know it's every stat that he wants to look at and over time lasers had to kind of get into the stats because he knows that's the direction buzz is going to go in that post-game interview it's pretty cool to watch how he's had to evolve as an announcer whereas normally you're like oh the guys played hard it looked like you know that kind of thing that's been pretty cool to watch the evolution and that's the stuff that that we obviously like the most i i mean i feel like most of the fans like to hear about you know the hardcore facts of the game rather than you know the more I don't know how you, it's existentials type stuff. But when he was on the NCAA uh, show last year, when the tournament was going on, he joined the broadcast team. And his analysis of basketball in that respect, when it's like not tech and you might not be wanting to give up too much information, I mean, you can just tell he's just like a savant in some ways. Like it's just so fun to hear him talk about basketball in that way. And it's it's one of the, the reasons he's so good at what he does. He's absolutely embraces the new analytics side of basketball and has also mastered the motivational side of basketball. He really is a fantastic coach and one of the best young coaches in the sport. And we are so lucky to have him. Couldn't agree more. So we got to talk about this, this matchup. We were selected as a nine seed and we'll talk about whether we, that was deserving or not deserving. And we're going to play number eight, Wisconsin, at uh, nine forty on Thursday in Buffalo, New York, and that uh, that tip time is probably tentative as well. It probably will be closer to ten o'clock by the time the other game ends and we get on the court. So we're like the last game of the day on Thursday night. 
I I am okay with this seed, and as I looked into it more and more, it makes sense. At first, I was pissed. I you know some of the people were you know predicting us at seven, most at eight, and ultimately we came in at nine. And I think we were also the last nine seed according to the overall seeds of the tournament. We were number thirty six overall. And we're playing Wisconsin, who was number 29 overall, which I guess that means they were the highest eight seed, which I think they were deserving of. I mean, you could you look at the eight seeds and you look at the nine seeds and you can make a case that all of them are better than us. And the only one that I think people were beefing with was South Carolina being a seven seed. And so maybe if you pop them down, we'd move up a slot. But if we're the last nine, we're still going to be a nine. Yeah. I agree with that. I I I don't hem and haw about that kind of thing. We're in the tournament. I'm happy with it. The only the only issue, I think, like Jerry Palm had Wisconsin at like a five seed when I when I like last looked at it going in. I think that was his last prediction. So it ranged. The average seed I think was six and a half for Wisconsin. So I think the independently. Us being the last nine seed or and them being the first eight seed isn't an issue. The problem that could happen, and we're gonna talk about, you know, the team in the game, is when both of those things happen. You know, I mean that that Wisconsin gets pushed back potentially if you think they should have been higher, and you know, and we get pushed back as well, we end up with a really tough matchup with with Wisconsin. Right, so it's, combined. it's the combination of the two, exactly. And if the South Carolina thing, say they pop down to an eight and Wisconsin's a seven, then we don't have to worry about it. But you're right, we kind of got screwed because Wisconsin got seated a little too high, or how are you just going to say it? They got seated, they should have been a better seed. We should have been a slightly better seed. It would have changed everything. Um, but you could also make the argument, we were slotted exactly right, and they were just they could have been better. Absolutely. Either way, it's a tough matchup. I was, re- <laughs> I was reading through, uh, uh, what fighting gobbler said. And this is our buddy, Mike McDaniel that, uh, writes for them. And he had a quote. He said, this is likely the worst possible draw. The Hokies could have gotten as Wisconsin is an experienced group with good guard play from veterans, Koenig and Hayes, while boasting the top big man in the big 10 in six ten sophomore, Ethan Happ. That doesn't sound so good. <laughs> no, no. And, you know, I'll hit it now. I had it for a little bit later, but it's uh, important. I think the experience, I, I'm, it's, that's going to be a big thing in this. They have, they have four players on their team that have been to two Final Fours. That's nuts. That, that, that's not a good thing. So I had that bullet for later, but when I saw that, I was like, oh, this is that's going to be rough. Four players, yeah, four guys who played in two Final Fours, and Hap was a redshirt freshman on that team. So he also experienced it and you know has, in, in a way, been there before as well. They're coached by Greg Gard. He's in his first full season, and, and it was a pretty big news story last year when he took over for Bo Ryan partway through the year. Wisconsin was 25 and 9 this year, 12 and 6 in the Big 10 and tied for second. They lost to Michigan in the Big 10 championship game, a Michigan team that we beat in Ann Arbor. And Wisconsin has been to 19 straight NCAA tournaments. That's that's more impressive than our uh bowl streak, I think. Like that is 19 straight to not have one year 
where you're the, you know, 70th best team or however you want to say it, that's just so impressive. Yeah, it is. And, you know, in their season, you know, they went 25 and nine on the season, but five of those came in a six game stretch. So they had that loss to Northwestern that kind of derailed things for him a little bit. They got in their own heads. So, you know, when a team gets in a funk, sometimes it's hard to pull yourself back out of it. So you can chalk up a couple of those losses in that in that six game stretch to just kind of being in your own head. It's probably the best way to put it. So their record, I don't think really states, you know, the quality of this team at the beginning and the very end of the season. Obviously, Michigan turned it on at the end of the season and got a lot better. Um, so that's not that's not a bad loss whatsoever in that championship game. Yeah, UW, like they started out great and, like you said, had that stretch. And they actually lost five of their last seven games to end the regular season, mm-hmm. which we did the exact opposite. We won five of our last seven games. And if you looked at the order of the wins and losses, literally VTs and Wisconsin's were the exact opposites. Like two and <laughs> one and the three and then one. It was the exact opposite in terms of wins and losses. So what what UW team are we going to get? We were we were texting earlier about how they kind of, and people know this about Wisconsin, they can kind of ugly up the basketball game. They play slow. They do the UVA style. Um, but there is an in- interesting defensive stat on them is that they're not very good defending the three. Uh, they're 307th in terms of three-point field goal defense. And that kind of indicates to me and to you that they're probably really good in the paint. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, they're forcing it outside and having people take the tough shots. And if you're going to beat them, they're going to make you beat them beyond the arc. And the good news is, you know, and you know, to to kind of summarize, I hit one of my points was I I thought three things about this game. One is how well we shoot the three. Yeah, that's obviously really ingenious. But um, staying out of foul trouble, given our lack of depth, was number two. And number three is their experience. I think those three things are going to end up deciding the game for us. Um, you know, we led the ACC in threes. We were, what, 40%, I think it was. Yep. But that's that's over the course of many games. You can have an off night. You can have a good night, right? We saw it on when Outlaw went eight for 10. Those types of stats, especially for something like that, you know, that's like saying, you know, in football that, that, you know, they are, you know, the best at passes beyond 25 yards. And it's like, well, that's just, you know, who knows what's going to end up happening in right. any individual game. So um, that our three point stats. It just is going to depend. Are we on that night or are we off? And that's scary. It is scary. And we are 10th in the nation in three point percentage. And because they're they're bad at defending the three in terms of three point percentage. Yeah. Everyone's pointing at that stat. It's been floating around Twitter. Uh, you're, but you're right. Like we could go over our first seven, you know, we, we could make our first seven who, who knows. But I, I do think that overall, that's a huge plus for us. They have really good guard play and Koenig and Showalter uh, were both on various big 10 teams. You know, the, Koenig was second team all Big Ten. He's a senior guard. Showalter's a senior guard. He was all defensive team Big Ten. And they both can steal the ball from you. They both can shoot decently from three, neither, neither which are over 40%. This this Wisconsin team isn't a sharp shooting, three-point shooting team on the offensive end either. But they can both still make them on you. And the fact that they're seniors, they're very savvy with the basketball. They don't turn it over. The, 
UW is 47th in turnover margin, whereas Virginia Tech is 199th. There, this the turnovers are going to be a big part of this game, and then when you get into their size with Hap and Nigel Hayes, the rebounding as it's been a problem for the last month and a half, or if you want to say all year, it's going to be a problem. The, the, those are the two areas that we're really going to struggle with. We we have to get out in transition. And we have to make our threes. And if we can also combine that with being careful with the basketball, we'll have a chance to win the game. But I am terrified of Ethan Happ. This sophomore, he's he's 6'10 and 232. He's a beast, man. Uh, first team all Big Ten, 13.9 points, 9 rebounds, 1.1 blocks, 2.8 assists, 58% from the field. The only thing he doesn't do well is shoot free throws. We need to put their bigs on the free throw line. Both him and Hayes, they're both under 60% from the free throw line. So, you know, hack them, do what you got to do. I know we want to stay out of foul trouble for sure, but at some point you got to put them on the line and we have to go to the line because we have the advantage in terms of our free throw percentage too. We're a very good free throw shooting team. And I think as a team, Wisconsin is like 336th in free throw percentage. So you want to put them on the line. Yeah, Hap versus Lede is going to be a sight. That's going to be a really interesting matchup. And Lede, listen, Lede's shown, and he did it in the Wake Forest game, he shows that when he's on and he's got his energy and his motivation, he can keep up with some of the best in the country. And that's not to say that he's one of the best in the country, but he has his nights where he can shut people down, he can make he can make things happen. He had 31 points in that game against what? One of the, you know, all ACC players, you know, one John of the Collins, top. Yeah. yeah. And so I think that's going to be, if nothing else, we're in the tournament. That's going to be fun to watch those two go at it. I hope, I obviously. We, yeah. I ha- and Lede is the kind of guy who we just saw in the weight game. He steps up and he has done it again and again throughout his career. Like when things are going a little bit rough for the rest of the team. All of a sudden, he makes these layups and hooks, or what he's spinning in the lane and stuff like that. And you don't know how it goes in, but it goes in. And he's just, it's going to be something I fully expect to see him have a great game in this game. I would be shocked if he didn't, you know, do his normal thing and probably even put up over 20 points in this game. And we're going to need it from him. We really will. Him and. Seth Allen coming off the bench all year have been the spark plug. And the only game that really was like a questionable play for us down the stretch was the weight game on senior night. I think because they started because they were seniors, it screwed up our normal rotation of them coming off the bench. This is something the key play podcast talked about Pearson and Brian Marcolini. They mentioned it and I, I couldn't agree more. Like I think just the fact that buzz wanted to get those seniors to start the game it just kind of messed us up, and that's the only game that we kind of played a little funky throughout the whole thing. I think with the normal rotation that we do, we are going to hold our own against Wisconsin. I agree with what Mike McDaniel said. It's it's a tough, tough draw. The bigs, you know, when we play the teams with the big guys like Florida State and Miami, like those are really tough matchups for us, and they have one of the best in Hap, and Nigel Hayes will probably be a second-round pick in the NBA draft this year too, so... I don't know, but like you were saying, it's just it's nice to be there, but I want to see 
I want to see us win this game so, so badly. Like, it would be so amazing to keep this ride going, even if just a couple more days into the weekend. Well, it seems like it's time for some predictions, but I think we should get into what we're drinking right now first. So what do you want over there, Pete? I've got something really special tonight. Uh, This is called the Oblivex from Tired Hands Brewing. And if anyone's heard of Tired Hands, they make a very, very good beer. It's out of Ardmore, PA. And they're like, they're similar to Vale and a lot of those other up and coming breweries that do the special can releases where you have to, they'll post an Instagram post like, hey, we're releasing X at 9 a.m., get in line, whatever. And there's always like 350 people online an hour later. And my buddy's gone out there a bunch of times and picked up these beers, and they're so, so good. Uh, this is a double IPA. It's got a citrusy flavor that isn't too overwhelming. Again, the cloudy New England-style double IPAs are all the rage these days, and this is that. The can artwork's pretty cool. It's it's one of those cans that comes with the uh, with the sticker label because they're those special releases, so they don't actually produce large amounts of actual cans. Uh, but the Oblivex Double IPA by Tired Hands is phenomenal. And this brewery, if you can get your hands on their beer, absolutely do it. They are making just fantastic beer and putting it out all the time. They have a great tasting room up outside of Philadelphia. And uh, they're really an up-and-coming brewery. And I think you mentioned you had heard of them as well. Yeah, Tired Hands is on the on the rise. It's similar. Those guys are killing it right now. With It was funny. I was meeting with a brewery. Uh, about our, we have an NCA event for the tournament coming up for my work. And I met with a brewery to get them to come in and do beers for like a beer tasting. And he's, the guy was joking. We were talking about the fat of the new England IPA, really citrusy, heavy mouthy feel like, and he said two years ago, it was all black IPAs. And now you can't get people to buy a black IPA. (laughs) And last year it was the season of sours and this year it's the new England. The fad that beers are going through now is pretty cool. And Aslan is another brewery near us that I had, I think on one of the podcasts recently and I had those beers are just so good. They use really high end hops and a lot of citrus flavors. They're really refreshing. Yeah. I have to credit my buddy Phil for this one. He, he brought it over to my house and it is, it is awesome. What are you drinking, man? So I'm having the Easter basket, by Champion Brewing Company. Uh, Champion is out of Charlottesville, Virginia. There's a few few breweries there. We've had Champion on, I believe, before on the podcast. I don't like a lot of their beers, but they've started rolling out two. One was the Fruit Basket, which is in their IPA, which is really good. And this is their Easter Basket, obviously given the season. It's a double IPA brewed with coffee and chocolate. There's not a ton of, I think the coffee and the chocolate are offsetting each other a little bit. So it's kind of hard to get the taste of either of them. And it's, it's a lot more mild than your typical double IPA. So if you're not into too hoppy and, but that's also coming from me, it's a good beer and you get a little hint of it, but it's probably more chocolate than it is uh, is coffee, at least in in my opinion. But I like it. It's other than being Charlottesville, it's good. Nice. All right, man. Look, give me a prediction on the game. I don't have a line for you, but I don't really care about the line when it comes to basketball. It just seems kind of silly. We're going yeah. with an outright winning prediction. So why don't you tell me what you think? 
I think it was five and a half, but that was uh, like right after it got announced is what I, I, we were actually in the eights versus nines. I think we are the highest spread as an underdog. I'm going with Virginia tech at the skin of our you know, teeth. It, it's like going to be very close. And I think Seth Allen finds a way to pull off another miracle given it's his senior year, probably right at the end of the game, but it's going to be a one, two, three point game if we do pull it off. Right. And I, I, I say it that way on purpose. And then since we won't be recording again, I think we get bounced when we hit Villanova. They're the overall number one seed, right? I think. Yeah. Uh, and they just have a, a monster team with some experience and very complete top to bottom. So I'd love to say that we could get, you know, into that into that sweet 16 territory and take on maybe like a UVA, which would be unbelievable, but I just don't see it happening. Yeah, I want to comment on Villanova, seeing as that I live in the city of Philadelphia and was here for all the, you know, them winning the national championship festivities last year. But in terms of the Wisconsin game, I tweeted it out earlier. I think this is going to be just like an instant classic type game. I expect this to come down to the absolute wire. And with what Seth Allen has done, as you alluded to, I really think he's going to have a great impact on the end of this game yet again. I, that might be, you know, kind of a a trite prediction, but it it just seems like that's the way this is going to. Our team is so tough. Even if we get down, you've seen us come back in in so many games this year that you thought we were out of. Even in the Florida State game that we just lost, we were completely out of that game. And then all of a sudden, wait, wait a minute, we we might have a chance here. Notre Dame, we did it. We nearly pulled that game off. I uh, I kind of don't want to predict a Virginia Tech win. Uh, I'm feeling like you do during football season where you uh, <laughs> you don't want to predict a win or whatever because you're nervous. And that's how I feel when it comes to basketball. I don't want to predict a win for us. Uh, I I kind of have a gut feeling that we will win. Let me Let me say it like that. And if we do win and get to play Villanova, I, Chris Coleman of um, – Tech sideline put this out that he thought that was the best matchup of any of the ones or twos in this entire tournament for us to play would be Villanova. And I was thinking about that. I'm like, that, that just can't be right. Like they're, they're a really good team. Number one overall seed, like you said, but with the loss of Oshefu last year, who was playing for the wizards a little bit this year and Archie Adano, their, their four year guard who left last year, they, they were kind of have a shorter rotation and, Oshefu leaves them with only one primary big man, Daryl Reynolds, who's averaging only five and 5.4 rebounds per game. Their leading rebounder is actually Josh Hart, who any big college basketball fan knows how good Hart is. 19 points a game, six and a half rebounds, does it all, assists, blocks, steals, whatever you want to say. But they don't have a big rotation of big men. They don't rebound the basketball well at all. It's something that we do match up well against. Like Coleman was absolutely right. They have the best two-point percentage in the nation at 59.7, but they're only 79 in three-point percentage. That's a team that we might have a chance against if we can beat Wisconsin. Now, I I want to go one game at a time, but you know, like you said, we don't have a chance to do a podcast in between. So we have. If you want to say we're going to win, and we're optimists, I think we could have a shot to upset Villanova if we could get there. And wouldn't that just be the greatest thing to ever happen to Tech basketball? 
Yeah, they Villanova. I don't. I don't follow basketball nearly as close as everybody else, but I, I've done a good job this football off season of listening every day to to on Sirius XM to the college sports radio. They only play seven, right? Isn't Villanova kind of a leaner team, like similar to us, which is one of our detriments. They usually play. I think seven in their games, which is yeah. When we when we play the deep teams, there we can gas people, you know, that are playing a little bit thinner. It, the problem is, is that when you get a Miami and you know in, in Florida States where they can go ten deep on there, we we have no chance of gassing somebody like that because they can rotate more people in. Uh, and so that's, that's that's nice. And that's not yeah right. That's not the case with Nova. They have a short rotation. Like I said, one real primary big man, big smooth Chris Jenkins was the guy who hit the game winner in the national championship game last year, and he's a big body, 235, but he's only 6'6", and he's only shooting 39.7 on the season from the field as a whole. Like he's not he's not you know an efficient basketball player when it really comes down to it. The obvious problem is that everyone on their team, Jalen Brudson, uh, that kid McHale, they're all extremely talented and they're tournament tested and they defend well. So there are clear problems and uh, um, many, many reasons why they're the number one overall seed. But the point is they're susceptible They're and maybe more susceptible than some of the other matchups for us. Like I would never want to play Kansas. That would, that would go terribly. Uh, and, and, you know, Villanova could clearly go terribly as well. I just feel like the rebounding advantage those are the teams we really struggle against, and that really wouldn't be the case against Villanova. Yeah, and Lede, even as the last game, he's been rebounding a lot better than we. That was big struggle during the midpoint of uh, ACC play, where we were getting destroyed. Was the number of boards people were getting off of us on both sides, and it was it was really bad. And Lede seems to have found found a little bit of you know, his mojo on that front. Yeah, you want to talk about fun matchup with Lede going up against Wisconsin. Lede going up against big, smooth Chris Jenkins, that would be fun. Both of those are fiery guys. It would be really, really interesting to see. And then you add in the potential for that UVA game. <laughs> so clearly now we're really projecting, but we're in the same quadrant with UVA. So if we somehow knock off the number one overall seed and play our in-state rival and get a week uh, to, to wait for it. Oh my gosh. Hokie nation would be just like on pins and needles waiting for that one. Yeah. Because UVA looking at their side, they look like they should be there. I think they have, what is it? They have UNC Wilmington. Is that the UNC Wilmington? And then if they win that game, they'd play number four, Florida, unless they get upset by East Tennessee state. Right. And so I, you know, that, that Florida UVA could be interesting given the, but that would be an interesting slow game. Um, but game would be in Orlando as well. So that would be an advantage for Florida in theory. Yeah. But again, we're rolling this forward way, way far. (laughs) We're not going to be posting again, or maybe we will be if that ever happens. Well, if we beat, if we beat Villanova, we'll be doing another podcast next week. I guarantee you that. But, uh, we could easily be out by midnight on, uh, on Thursday night as well. Yeah. That's not what we're looking at. (laughs) I was excited. We got the night game though. And I know people are going to be fatigued. So the, 
I think the viewership probably drops off at night. I'm, that's a guess. But after watching games from you know all day, people probably don't check in on the the night game as much. But for me personally, in order to get out of work and get to a bar somewhere and and watch it with some hokey fans, it worked out perfectly. So I was juiced. That and the fact that say you have the noon game on Thursday and you lose. It's you didn't enjoy any of the tournament and now you're pissed <laughs> at, the, <laughs> at the very least. If the game, if we lose and it ends at midnight, I got a full day of anticipation of the Hokies thinking we might win, thinking we might play Nova. And if we lose, then I'll just go to bed angry instead of yeah. like watching all the other games angry. So if we win, we're Saturday, Saturday automatically, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it'll be Saturday. The, the times are just set. my birthday. Which oh. Is my birthday. Oh, oh yeah. I like that. Yeah, and the other thing is, uh, and I'll say this, we're talking about birthdays. My birthday, we played Syracuse in Castle, and it was a fantastic birthday for me because we won. So hopefully it works the same way for you because it would be 10 times better, but it would be linking up nicely. That's right. Well, I guess we pretty much exhausted all of the stuff regarding the tournament. I'm going to fill out a bracket, and it's going to be so difficult not to pick Tech to just win seven straight games or six straight games. But, uh, but I don't know, man. I, I just I'm so happy. I, I, I I've been so like excited all day reading all the stuff, even even reading about Ethan Happ and how he's going to destroy us inside. I've had like a twinkle in my eye all day. Like I've just been so excited about us being in the tournament. It's the best sporting event all year in any sport, the best four days in sports that there is, if you ask me. And I just, I just can't wait. It, by far it's, it's incredible. I love football. Uh, that's my go-to, but this is an exceptionally fun time of the year, and it's amazing that during the tournament, there's crazy stuff that happens in games all the time, but the way that it happens in the tournament is always so nuts. And I know there's a ton of games going on, but it just seems there's like there's a higher concentration of crazy endings in the tournament than anywhere else because people are playing at their most elite levels, no matter what. And the prep is so much more focused and everybody puts so much resources into making sure that they can play well. Right. Someone's going to go off on some team and maybe it's someone on our team. Maybe in two weeks, everyone's talking about how Justin Bibbs is the star of the tournament or Seth Allen's the star of the tournament, like D'Angelo Russell was just a couple of years ago. Uh, Seth Curry was 10 years ago or whatever it was. That's the exciting part of March Madness is seeing who emerges, who improves their their draft stock, who changes a school's trajectory on the grand landscape. That's the stuff that we all love about March the most. And to finally be a part of it after so long is is really special. And we get Florida Gulf Coast, so dunks are coming out. Hey, someone, uh, I think it was Billis, predicted them to win. <laughs> Yeah, against Florida. It's going to be uh, – there's a couple people talking. That's – I was listening to Sirius on the way home, and, and two of two were picking Florida Gulf Coast to take that win. So Yeah, over uh, Florida State. Yeah. Yeah, sorry, Florida State. And, yeah. So it's going to be fun no matter what, and we're a part of it. So get you stop pokies because it's going to be a wild ride. All right, that's pretty much it. Uh, hopefully we are recording on – Monday next week 
to uh, to recap our wins over uh, Wisconsin Villanova. If that's not the case, we'll be coming back with a with some spring football stuff soon enough. Remember to uh, review us on iTunes if you get a chance, and hit us up on Twitter if you have any questions or comments. It's at two deep VT, and email us any questions you have at two deep VT at gmail.com. Robbie, enjoy the tournament. I'll talk to you over the next couple days. We'll be texting back and forth, I'm sure. Go Hokies.